0: This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear are with actors Marta Dusseldorp and Zoe Tarakis. They're from A Doll's House Part 2, which is now showing at the Melbourne Theatre Company. This is R 102.7 FM on your dial and to those uh, streaming online, hello and thank you to our international listeners, which I didn't realise were so vast. It's fabulous to have you as well. Um, now, I'm really delighted to have with me uh, two of the cast members from the latest play by Melbourne Theatre Company. Um, now, I've got with me Marta Dusseldorp, who plays Nora and also Zoe Tarakis, who plays emmy which is nora's daughter and uh, they both join me now to give you an idea of these fabulous actors you may know um marta from if you watch the abc religiously like i do janet king crownies jack irish um you know she's done much more than that but that's certainly you know she's played some amazing female characters which i find really inspiring is to have that kind of inner strength and grit that a lot of um of Marta's characters have and also Zoe Tarrakis who appeared with Marta in the last Janet King series as well and is such a fabulous up and coming actor so welcome to you Zoe and welcome to you Marta. Thank Thank you. you. It's um, really great to have you in to talk about what I think um, you know is a great play in and of itself Um, you know people don't need to have read A Doll's House the first play which was by Henrik Ibsen in the late 19th century to actually actually know what's going on in this part two uh, play, which is written by Lucas Nath, I believe,
1: yeah.
0: a US playwright. Um, and it's currently running, and I know you've actually extended the season, I think now till the 19th of September, which is excellent uh, because I know tickets are, you know, running out. Um, so, people need to get on that. <laughs> but... I'm particularly interested, I guess, in how you approach a part two of a play that is so well known, so well regarded and has been interpreted by like many, many people in a range of ways, even in Melbourne. um, I remember a really kind of, shocking but um, impressive version of A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen directed by Daniel Schlusser which actually featured VCA graduates in their final year of acting and it just struck me as such an amazing modern representation of the themes that are that we're exploring like you know a marriage uh, which this play is really exploring as well so I want to ask you uh, both about how you approached A Doll's House Part 2 and how much did you look at A Doll's House Part 1 by Henrik Ibsen and how much did that um, influence your reading of the text and your understanding of the characters because they do develop between this 15-year gap that we see, um, you know, between when Nora leaves uh, her marriage and her children and then when she um, returns. So maybe I'll start with you, Marta.
1: Uh, So I read Doll's House straight away to remind myself of Nora's journey throughout that. Mm. And it's very plot-driven until the final moment when Torvald says to her, when he thinks it's all lost and he'll be humiliated in the world, and he says, you can stay in the house, but you can live in the back room and you are not allowed to have anything to do with your children because you'll corrupt them. You are now something uh, that doesn't represent motherhood and you can be in the back and just stay there. Mm. And in that moment, well, of course, her soul breaks and she understands that she has to leave. Uh, He then finds out everything's going to be okay. It's a great twist at the end. And he says, oh, no, it's all good. I'm saved. You can stay and hooray, let's all be a family again. And she picks up her not very much actually, um, her hat and <laughs> yeah. walks out the door, leaving her wedding ring behind. Mm. And at the time in late 19th century, that they actually rewrote the ending because no one could believe that a woman would leave her children. I completely understand that. I understand it as a sacrifice to her soul to survive in the world. She also believed that she was corruptible. Mm. and that she could corrupt her children. So so then I started reading this part two and in part two she returns and she is, she is fully armed. She is like Joan of Arc. She comes back and she needs something. I won't give it away because I actually think it's a really important moment in the play when I hear the audience hear why she's returned. Mm. Um, and she says, I'm a new person and I have all of this armoury with me but we've been talking a lot uh, in the Q and A's about the grey area, and the grey area is the children, mm. and the grey area is still a grey area in 2018, and the audiences still judge Nora, and I feel it, and I I try to explain to them through the play why she did what she did and why she is the woman that she is, and we are still having to prove that today, and I and I'm tired of having to prove that, and mm. I think. As a nation, and also as a as a as a as a world, we are changing that story in the Western world slowly. Mm. Um, so I think that's why it's resonated with young people. They're coming, and we hear them. They're vocal. They shout out at the end, especially. I hear them laughing in parts that I want to laugh at as well. So Lucas Nath was only 37 when he wrote this, and so he comes with a young voice. You don't have to have seen Doll's House, uh, let's not call it part one, <laughs> but the original. Yes, he He's making a point and he is having his own reckoning because mm. it's what Nora asks for at the end of Doll's House. She says, this is a reckoning, Torvald. So he brings the reckoning back, and this time you get it from four points of view. So this is a good time to throw to Zoe because suddenly you've got these four people who are left with 15 years baggage, mm. each with their own voice and their own experience of that voice. And I think that's what makes this play so unique.
0: Yeah. And it's structured, you're just referring there to, I guess, the different perspectives that, you know, this play brings. It's structured in a way... I guess of chapters or acts, just like the original is, you know, it's structured in three acts. They're pretty much standalone scenes, a whole act. So um, Zoe, your character Emmy, you know, we do see your name, Emmy, flashed up at the top, just like we see Nora, we see Anne-Marie, we see Nora and Torvald. So there's a whole range of perspectives that we get in this play, but yours is a fascinating one and your character is very strident and self-assured And entertaining, I guess, as well. (laughs) It must be really enjoyable to play a character like that. But, I mean, there is a lot of complexity and things happening beneath the surface with your character.
2: Yeah, I think that was the biggest learning curve with Emmy is that um, when I first got offered the role, I reread it, um, and she's very conservative. And I think Mm. as the younger voice in the play, you kind of expect it to be the opposite. And when I came to it, I was like, God, I don't know if I can do this because she's so (laughs) conservative. Um, But the way in that we found was the emotion of it, which is that in the end her mother has left. And for 15... and Like the whole first half of the play, when I read it and when I listen to it, it's like, yes, independent woman, Mm, feminism, and then the cost of her decision comes on. And so it is a big... Kind of burden to bear to be the cost of such a decision, um, and I think yeah i think I think the biggest part of Emmy is the hiding of feelings because as an actor, you kind of just want to indulge and give it all, but for the yeah. first three quarters of the scene, she really is um, hiding from her mother because that is a stranger, and strangers don't get to see those things, and then as they become more familiar with each other, the cracks start to form, and it all kind of unravels
0: yes, and you. I mean, you have this really um, strong wall at the beginning, which is, you know, I'm not hurt by you. I I don't remember you even existing. I was Mm. so young. And um, you ask Marta's character, Nora, are you happy? What makes you happy? You know, kind of being like, oh, well, you know, I hope you're happy. It it is that kind of... um, Yeah, it seems like a strong defence mechanism that your character employs.
2: Yeah, I think, especially on that line, that's where I personally think the first crack begins to form Mm. because it's the first question she asks her, and it's, you know, have you been happy without us? And, of course, she wants her to say, no, No. I miss you every day. And in the scene before, Nora reveals that, but she doesn't tell Emmy. And Mm. that's actually,
1: we should bring that up, uh, just because I find it so fascinating. The setup is that you understand how much Nora missed them, what she gave up. She says a wound has to be allowed to heal no matter how much you have the desire, the urge to touch it. To, It's not good for the healing. Mm. And she explains the reason she never reached out. Then what you see is her, and I I hope the audience is saying, reach out, (laughs) (laughs) reach out, because they know she wants to. So Lucas humanizes Nora before she brings Emmy. Before he brings Emmy on, yes. which allows me to play harder mm. and the game harder. So, and I love that when a, when a writer gives an audience the secret, yeah. And Lucas does it really well, yeah. Um,
0: mm. Yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, yeah, because that scene you're talking about uh, between yourself and Anne Marie is really interesting because, you know, it's very honest. I mean, um, and the the language at times is very direct and modern. Um, An example language warning is that um, (laughs) Anne-Marie says, I'm still really pissed off at you. And, you know, she says, you know, she she probably swears the most because (laughs) she um, was heavily impacted and saw the impact of um, Nora's leaving Torvald and her children like Emmy and has then, you know, stepped in to be the mother and play that mother role but then you know so you get on Anne-Marie's side and you're like yes go Anne-Marie like you know she needs to understand what she's done and her sacrifices and then you end up going onto Nora's side when you hear that you know Nora wanted to send gifts and reach out and she had this motherly instinct that was always there it never left her and you know a hole I guess in her life even though she was having you know achieving so much and feeling quite professionally fulfilled you know personally fulfilled but there is a
1: cost to that and I think Mm -hmm. we need to understand that for both men and women when I play Janet King and people say to me oh could she get back with Bianca the whole point is that she can't have love in her life it's it's imp- she the cost of her job is that she loves everyone else except herself. Mm. And as women and men in the world, there are sacrifices that we make for the greater good. and that is Nora's place. Like mm. she to write these books has meant that she's had to be alone in a mountain. Well, some people could think that that's romantic and spiritual, I think it's really sad. Yeah. Well, it's very lonely. And it's very lonely. Mm. So when Emmy says, what, so we're just a group of people who are all leaving each other, is that what you want? We're nomads? Mm. The reason Nora gets upset about that is because she realises her isolation and her inability to find her own voice without sitting in a cave for two years on her own. Mm. The voices in her head are male. Her husband, her father, her pastor, she talks about the church, she talks about all these people in her lives, but then she says what he thought. And I don't I hear women in the audience every night go, mm. Hmm Because we do, we have these male voices in our heads that aren't actually people. Yes. They are voices in our yeah. heads. And we need to replace those with our voices. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do that's what we are doing, successful or not. And, yeah. you know, some male voices are helpful. I'm not writing them off.
0: Some <laughs> are. Very diplomatic. Uh, well, I mean, it is, it's is—it's a great point because this is a process of Nora constantly replacing that male voice with her own voice to the point where she's got such a strong voice. She's very strident in her opinion about marriage that, you know, she says, um, you know, she's talking about marriage as being like this prison basically that that people lose them, their individuality they lose themselves into this amorphous being of two people and you know she feels like there can't be a point of um you know compromise where you can still maintain your individuality think, does I she think,
1: i think hidden underneath it is the message of just be conscious I don't think mm. it's saying chuck it all out, especially in the speech to Emmy. She says you go from being two separate people to something more like one person mm. and you get swallowed up. And because of the way the world is, it's you that's going to get swallowed up into Kim and he's going to expect this from you. So all, all I'm hoping is that people in the modern day who understand we have rights and can leave and yes, we can get a divorce, are able, if they're in one of those relationships, to say, this is my voice and can you, can I not have to play for you and act something so you'll listen to me about what's important to me, mm. but rather you'll just listen to me about what's important to me? Mm. So to me, it's really a cry for consciousness.
0: Mm. And I think it's your character that says, This is my chance to change the, the rules. World, yeah. So, you know, it's a great example that, um, you know, you're telling Emmy's character, sorry, um, Zoe's character, Emmy, that. You know, she. You're not saying don't get married. Um, you're not telling her what to do, but you're saying, you know, I've been in this position. I don't want you to make the kind of mistakes that I made, so that you don't have to go through all this pain and anguish that you're currently, you know, deeply experiencing. And that
1: happened. Mm. You, we we got rights to divorce. Yeah. So what the play I think is also suggesting is what else do we have to change? Mm. And if you want to change it. Go out and do it yourself. If you can't have the impact you need to have, you know, do it for yourself. If you can't do it for the world, do it for yourself. Mm. It's a, it's such a lovely... It's why I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't... It wasn't about playing a role. or It was about saying something that I think is really important. I mean, mm-hmm. that is what culture is. That's what storytelling is. That's why we have the conversation. We sit down, we all turn our phones off. <laughs> it's only an hour and 29 <laughs> minutes and 29 seconds on most nights. Yes. So it's not a huge sacrifice. And it's just saying, think about it. Yeah. Male mm. and female. I don't think that uh, we've had a lot of men, Who've come, a lot of your friends, Zoe, yeah. young men. Yeah. Who? What have they said?
2: They've responded to it massively. I think mm. it is a, sort of a genderless play because of the way it's and and ageless as well. Like it speaks to everyone universally, and I think the way it does it is. I mean, because I don't think, like, we didn't rehearse it as a funny play. If you look at the one on Broadway, you can look it up on YouTube. Yeah, It's, like, kind of slapstick and, yes. like, you know, taking the piss. Sorry to speak like that. No, it's all right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's triple R. It's okay. <laughs> um, and so, and we kind of made a decision as a company to play the truth of it. Yeah. Um, and if it's funny, if it's funny. If it's not, it's not. But I think the way it does creep under everyone's skin, mm. male, female, in between, um, is that, it kind of uses humour to get you on side and then slaps you in the face later. And I think that's how it is so universal is because everyone can laugh together and then everyone feels the tidal wave that comes of that together, us and the audience.
0: Yeah, it it is really an intense examination of your relationships and our relationships. And I think I don't think it's confronting, but it certainly does make you really closely examine your own thinking about, Mm. you know, relationships, marriage, love, family, um, and the kind of sacrifices one does make between career or family or, you know, principles and values and you know, the, being an individual isn't being self-centred, it's being kind of authentic and you're doing something that's just right for you. Um, and one of the quotes from Nora, um, which I found really interesting at the end, was that uh, she says, I'm my best self if I'm by myself, which I think, you know, is probably not that uncommon, but not many people would be willing to say that out loud. It's
1: one of my favourite moments in the play, and so many people say it back to me mm. afterwards. Mm. And I believe there have been some reckonings after the show in couples. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, we've heard of two ourselves um, that, that come from that sentence. Mm. And I think we just have to look at what compromises are we making. Relationships are compromises uh, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but you just have to look at how deep the compromise is and to understand that you can walk away and you'll be okay Mm. or you can stay and redefine it or you can stay and stay as you are and it can be beautiful as well. Mm. So I I think it's important because this is a, a play about us and it's not about anything else. So... They're the shows I love to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is really stripped bare to yeah. Yeah. what is really important. Not only the dialogue and the acting, but also the set and the music. <laughs> you know, it. I was. I didn't even notice the music, which is probably the mark of a good great composer. Because yeah. I, when I read that there was a composer and there was music, I was like, really. Yeah, a lot of people have said (laughs) that. Yeah. Wow. So I honestly had no clue what, you know, all of that background that was happening that was adding to the intensity of it. Yes. And I said off air, you know, it goes for 90 minutes. I'm so glad there's not an interval because, I mean, I got to the end of that 90 minutes and thought we'd only had half an hour because I was (laughs) like, wow, so much. It's so um, fast moving but engrossing, you know, and you just – it's very cerebral, it's very easy to get sucked into it and into the debates that are going on and, you know, you're having a mental debate with yourself and, you know, between the characters as well. I would love to ask, because this is really reliant on four actors, I mean, it's such a small ensemble (laughs) and they're all equally important in terms of what they're doing, how did you, I guess, work together and develop this with a fantabulous director of Sarah Goods, who just won a Helpman Award for directing Yeah, Yeah. you know that is it's a small team and a really important strong team how did you build that ensemble work and dynamic that you do definitely it's clear that you've got on stage Mm. you know it's really strong
2: I mean we all just love each other so much (laughs) like it's obscene from the first day I mean because you know Mart's away from her kids and Mm. her husband, I'm away from my family and I think everyone just kind of adopted each other as family and from day one we all kind of, there was an unspoken decision that everything we did was going to come from a place of love that goes for Sarah, that goes for everyone. And I think that's how the show has been built and that's how we feel safe to make the kind of bigger, scarier choices that we're making on stage because you do risk something every night. It does hurt and you don't get out scratch free. You know, it's kind of... It's an intense play, um, but mm-hmm. I think what makes it okay and not, you know, killing us is that we all just love each other so much and trust each other so much.
1: I worked with a director, um, Catherine Miller, on Janet King and A Place to Call Home. In fact, I met her on Place and dragged her on to Janet. <laughs> um, and she's one of the most beautiful directors I've ever worked with, as is Sarah Goods, um, And she taught me that every scene is a love story in whatever way. Yes. Permeate, however, that comes to you. So I brought that into the room and I and certainly with Anne Marie I remember uh mm. we were sort of one point sort of angry with each other not as ca- as characters mm. and fighting it out and I just said maybe this is more of a love story. Let's go back to the love because the love is the obstacle to hate. Mm. So there is no hate on stage ever. And I think what's so interesting about that in this time that we're living in, is there's way too much hate. Mm. And from hate, no one listens. And so there is a deafening... Mm. uh, No one learns. No one absorbs. And so on stage, we come from love. I come from love in every scene, even with Torvald. Mm. When he walks in, I come from love. I understand you're hurting. She says, I hurt you. I know that. Don't think I don't know. She, Everyone acquiesces to each other eventually because of love mm. and stakes. And we need more of that in the world. Mm-hmm. And we need, it, through that, we understand. Because if you have compassion, you have understanding. doesn't mean you have to agree. It just means you understand and you listen. So in the play, that's what we do. Mm. There's no one standing on stage saying, I'm right, you're wrong. They're saying, this is what I think. Mm. And I love you so much, I have to tell you that. So that permeated into our relationships as performers as well because there's so much experience on stage and we all love what we do and mm. we wouldn't have done it as long as we have. And Zoe comes on like she has been doing it for longer than all of us put together. So that has been remarkable to watch and nurture and, and let fly. I mean, it's ex- and everyone has commented on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, and it and Sarah is a thoughtful, kind, creative genius. So yeah. there wasn't a day that... And, and there were days where she would say at 3.30, let's call it a day. Mm-hmm. I can see now that, you know, right now we all just need to go and have a cup of tea and talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> With only four players, sometimes yeah. you need to mix it up a bit like that. Yeah. And, of course, I'd go, no, no, we must work till <laughs> six because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bit of uh, Ibsen in me. But... Um, <laughs> and then we'd push on and weirdly as or not and sometimes when we would then then the the real discoveries would would bubble up through the tears and the yeah. exhaustion and yeah. that that was the other thing we did so it's just been a delight but i have to say i have to hats off to the audience because of mm. course we've mm. done close on 18 performances now It's pretty much full every night. But these three extra shows mean there's really good tickets available (laughs) Um, for the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, that's left at the end. And they come and they do their work too Mm. because without them, without you coming and taking notes and and wanting to talk about it, which most people do, they they are there. I've never experienced such um, huge laughs and then cut to you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And so i th- I'd like to thank the audiences because really, without them, it would be half the experience it actually is. Yeah. And We walk off mm-hmm. every night and go, "These guys were um, women, yeah. men in betweens We are all- what an amazing um, yeah. conversation that was
0: it's yeah. a real conversation piece with them, yeah. No wonder, though. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's it, the themes are so universal, but the way it's played out is very relatable. I mean, it's still technically set you know, in an mm. older period in some way, mm. visually. Um, and technically, it's it's from another country. I mean, the original play was mm. set in Norway, but mm. you honestly can't tell because it's been universalised in a way that is so accessible. It's not alienating. And it's Just on that, we mm. use our own voices, and yes. that's something that's come up in the
1: Q&A that people have wanted to talk about. So just quickly... Mm. Sarah, very early on, said, I want you to use your own voices. I want you to come from your centre. And so that's what we do so people know um, yeah. it's relatable, it's in your voice. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to us, wasn't yeah, it, Yeah, I think
0: so. Yeah, and it, I, was, I did notice the voice because there were some points with Marta, your voice, that I did pick up where you would be like, you get a bit higher and you kind of change the frequency <laughs> at the high end and then you'd go really deep and low all of a sudden and it would be just this real emotive, you know, somber. It just, like, I could feel the emotion in your voice and I could see it kind of illustrating, not in a really obvious way, but it was probably because I was taking notes that I was being so observant. But, you know, it just really did so well express the text you know that really every actor has that challenge of like looking at a text and going, how on earth do I express this in a way that is real?
1: Well, as well, it was written for an American accent. yeah, so that was a real challenge for us and one that I actually, to be honest, never even thought about. I was <laughs> when I read it I was like, all oh, right, so we use our own voices and and then it became this conversation. I thought, oh, it was written for America, of course it was. Mm. I'd forgotten. Mm -hmm. But um, hopefully that's irrelevant.
0: It is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. And just finally, um, Torvald in all of this, I mean, his character is so starkly different from the original (laughs) play and Nora, um, but, I mean, you know, he's originally talking to Nora using pet names and saying, Mm. my little Skylark, and, you know, all those horribly... um, grossly sweet you know Mm. affectionate terms that feel quite demeaning um to women and certainly to nora and it's quite condescending the way Mm. he is to her in the original play um but you know he has developed so much from 15 years later and seems to be a changed man in a way not completely changed but you know you almost believe him that he actually when he is reading your book and says i don't think i'm the same man that you've written about Mm. and I almost wanted you guys to get back together because I was like oh I feel like this is how you guys should have been together in the first play you know the but it took 15 years and all this upheaval to get there And then it's now no longer, you know, the time has passed.
2: Yes. I think that's the most important part of the play, to be honest. Mm. I think, like Mart said earlier, in a time when we are only seeing black and white, like we we don't want to see grey because it becomes a trickier conversation to have. This Mm. play explores every four corners of the boxing ring in depth and makes you look at the grey, even when we don't want to. It's easier to hate Torvald. It's easier. And it makes the play easier to digest. But...
0: Now nah, good doesn't guy and a let bad us guy. off, yeah. But yeah. you
2: know he doesn't let us off the hook, and he makes us reevaluate. And I think that is the genius of the play. But in the end, we do walk out with Nora, mm. and we have to. And I think that is also the genius of the play. Do you know what I mean?
0: Totally. Yeah. No, I can absolutely see that. um we're running out of time now. I've been so engrossed in this conversation and I really want to thank you both for being so generous with your thoughts about this because it's certainly even more fulfilling now that I've had this discussion with you and get the t- chance to reflect you know, and have that debate. So I hope everyone can get along and, you know, use this interview as another point of reflection when they, (laughs) um, after they've seen it. So thank you both for joining me and congratulations. Thank 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 you you for having us. It's great. You've been listening to my discussion with Marta Dusseldorp, who plays Nora, and Zoe Tarakis, who plays Emmy in the play A Doll's House, part two by Lucas Nath. And it is on until the 19th of September. It's in the South Bank Theatre. which is a special MTC theatre, the Sumner Theatre. So um, do check out the MTC website for more details. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.